Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that because you're already listening to a podcast. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. Well, it's a beautiful day here in Ecuador. It's sunny, it's 72, and you and I are getting set to get on an airplane and fly to frozen northern Maine. Yeah, I heard there's going to be a wicked storm this weekend, too. So just in time for our arrival. A wicked storm, Bob. I'm very excited. JK, Mm. I'm not. Yeah. But we've got family business to do. I'm going to go see my dad. You're going to go see your mom. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're going to visit some friends and family. I'm also going to Rennie's. Going to Rennie's. Obviously. Which is a main tradition. Also, uh, then we're going to uh, go to Washington, D.C. for a little bit of time, for a day or two. And then to Orlando to shop our storage unit. That's right. I'm very excited about the clothes that I know will fit me. And if you live in the... uh, Lake Buena Vista area and you want to help us lug furniture, let us know. Gosh, that sounds like a fun afternoon. (laughs) Yeah, we rented a pickup truck from like just a car rental agency at the airport for that. And it was like... $29 a day. Usually the pickup trucks are more. Yeah. I guess the universe loves us. After we paid for the insurance, though, it was twice as much. Yeah, well, considering we don't have car insurance for ourselves anymore because we don't have a car. Right. I miss my car. It's weird, isn't it? Not having a car. I hope you're doing well, Daria. I think about you often. One of the first things that we did when we got to Ecuador is I forced you to watch the documentary Gizmos. Yes. What a fun little film that is. That was not a forced event, by the way. That was something I was very excited about and thrilled to watch. It's old newsreel footage of crazy inventions, uh, stunt people from the 1920s, Mm. just a lot of really bizarre st- in the the 20s were weird we've, yeah, we've in, discussed that. in addition to being hoaxy it they, was weird it was weird so i thought i'd touch on some of the more comically absurd and ridiculously impractical inventions <gasps> yay fun this one comes from dead center of the 1920s 
The isolator helmet. Imagine trying to concentrate in a noisy office or study environment. Mm -hmm. You decide to put on a giant helmet resembling something out of a science fiction movie. That's exactly what Hugo Gernsback envisioned with his isolator helmet. Okay. And what's... What is the downside of this? <laughs> well, the downside is it probably gets a little hot in there, and it's a, it was a big, heavy thing. It was designed to help people focus by isolating them from external distractions. And the helmet came complete with an oxygen tank. See? A telephone for emergencies, a peephole for the wearer to see out of. Sadly, it wasn't the isolation we needed. It was an invention that uh, isolated itself from practicality, really, is what happened. I still don't see a problem with this product. It sounds incredible. I mean, if having earbuds in isn't enough to say, please Mm. don't talk to me, then maybe I need like an old-fashioned diver's helmet. (laughs) I wonder if they'd let you on an airplane wearing one of those. I, I doubt it. You're not the boss of me. TSA is, though. This is a weird one. And this was actually, there was film of this in the documentary Gizmos. The baby cage. Yeah. You need your baby to get some fresh air? We got just the answer for you. In the 1930s, city-dwelling parents faced a unique challenge. How to ensure their babies got enough fresh air and sunlight in uh, cramped urban apartments. Now, I would think that urban dwelling parents would have a hard time finding fresh air in the 1930s anywhere Mm. in the city at the time. But somebody came up with the baby cage, a bizarre contraption that allowed parents to hang their kids outside the window. These wire cages were suspended from high rise buildings. (laughs) And the babies were put inside them for some, quote, outdoor time. I can think of a few babies that I would like to put into some outdoor time. In one of those baby cages and maybe loosen the bolts? I don't want to murder the children. I just want them to be quiet. I don't want to murder them either. I just want to scare them. Wow, that got dark really fast. The treadmill machine in the 19th centuries, before gyms and fitness clubs became the norm, there was a comp- uh, a very peculiar contraption that was known as the treadmill machine. It was I introduced. Love a treadmill. Okay. I know you do. It was introduced in the 19th century. It was initially designed as a form of punishment, and really, it still is, isn't it? <laughs> it was designed for prisoners. Inmates would walk endlessly on a giant, what looked like hamster wheel, essentially going nowhere, performing hard labor, and uh, it was used to generate power. Wait, they had to perform hard labor while they were on the hamster wheel? No, that was considered hard labor. Oh, a light jog I wouldn't consider hard labor. Yeah, I don't have the details on how long they made them stay in there, Mm. but uh, they were They were using that to power the prison in many ways. I like that idea. I mean, I'm pro-green energy, not prison labor. Let's be clear about that. I did see a really fun video earlier today where a child wanted to watch Mr. Bean, and their mom was like, please, God, no. And um, (laughs) so the 
The agreement was that you can watch Mr. Bean as long as you run and power the television. So she just tied an electrical cord around his waist and then plugged it in or quote unquote plugged it into the back of the TV. Gotcha. So there's just this long extension cord wrapped around this kid's waist (laughs) leading to the TV and... And Mr. Bean's on, and the kid's having a great time. But as soon as he stopped, she would unplug it? No, he just never stopped. There's motivation. Mr. Bean? Heck yes, that's some motivation. I never thought I... I never thought I'd hear, Mr. Bean is good motivation. <laughs> In 1931, the radio hat was introduced. Picture yourself strolling around. And again, in the 30s... Everybody wore those those gangster hat kind of things. But but this one had a built-in radio. Exactly what it sounds like. A radio hat. A hat with a small AM radio receiver tucked inside the brim. The big issue with that, why that didn't take off, is because on top of the hat, you had a huge antenna. <laughs> it's a long way from Bluetooth earbuds, for sure. Here's one I approve of, and I know that... Um, You probably will, too. Uh, The bird diaper. Have you ever wished you could take your pet bird on a walk around town without worrying about them doing their business on your shoulder? Yes. Introducing the bird diaper. It was a bizarre invention uh, consisting of a tiny little diaper with a hole for the bird's tail feathers to go through, (laughs) which allowed them to fly freely while keeping your shoulder clean. Amazing. Do you remember my rabbit purse? It kind of feels similar. Yes. Yeah. Motorized roller skates. (laughs) Why rely on your own leg power when you can have motorized roller skates? Uh, In 1961, they introduced motorized roller skates, and they had little tiny gasoline engines on each skate, Uh and you had to start them like they were little tiny lawnmowers, just... Stop it. That's not true. No. No, it's true. But the idea of strapping little engines on a toddler's shoes, along with the noise and the safety concerns, uh, quickly ended that particular invention. Well, I hadn't thought about putting them on toddlers, but I can think of a few toddlers that I'd like to put on motorized roller skates. Yeah. The lobster-fueled car. Yes. In the 1930s, when gasoline was still a fairly relatively new invention, uh, people were exploring alternative fuels. One particularly unusual experiment involved uh, trying to power cars with lobster shells. This is a great idea. They, They were attempting to harness the energy from lobster shells to create a sustainable fuel source. I don't know how sustainable the lobsters felt that this was, but needless to say, this crustacean-powered vehicle did not catch on. Can you imagine what that would smell like? Smell like the coast of Maine. (laughs) Smell like Bahaba, Bob. It makes me want to get a hat that says lobster roll. The 1950s saw this brilliant invention, the pianoctail. If you really enjoy a musical cocktail, this is for you. It was a whimsical creation in the 1950s. Bizarre piano had keys that corresponded to different types of alcohol beverages. Holy shit, this <laughs> sounds amazing. So so as you're playing a tune, you're mixing a drink of your choice. I actually want one of those. That sounds incredible. Did you want a drink? Might I suggest the Camp Town Lady? But if you do play the Camp Town Lady, make sure you've got a ride home. The Cat Mustache Guard. <laughs> what? This was from the early 1900s. 
Um, it seemed as though at the time inventors had uh, a bit of an obsession with keeping facial hair out of food, this time for, for cats. So I'm sorry. The name, the, okay, so a name of a product should tell you at least sort of what it does. Mm-hmm. But this I'm confused about even who the wearer of this guard might be. It would be the cat. It was a wire frame that attached to the cat's collar, keeping their whiskers out of their milk. Because this was a problem for cats? Apparently. Who complained was, about... It was a big cat issue. They, they, the cat lobbyists really were pushing for this, Get apparently. out of here, you lobbyists. The parachute jacket. Not to be confused with parachute pants, you children of the 80s. It was exactly what it sounds like. It was a jacket that in an emergency would become a parachute. I don't see a single problem with this jacket. No, I, I think it's great. This is but an excellent idea. It was introduced in 1919, you know, maybe 15 years after the Wright brothers at Kitty Hawk. So 1919, not a lot of people were in airplanes. Who said that you need to be in an airplane to be concerned about your need for a parachute? There's. What do you think? There were like early 20th century base jumpers? And then there's this one, and I think this one could quite possibly be my favorite, the motorized ice cream cone. This came from 1934. Are you craving ice cream, but you're too lazy to turn the cone (laughs) by yourself? In 1934, a solution presented itself in the form of the motorized ice cream cone. You know, I thought maybe it was something other than... You know, the obvious thing that popped into my head Mm -mm. when you said motorized ice cream cone, but it's not. No. It is exactly the thing that, wow. Yeah, yeah. Somebody came up with this idea and apparently got funding. Was it gas powered? (laughs) It did have a small motor that rotated the ice cream cone for you. I'm not sure if it was gas powered or not. Um, It's worth noting that turning an ice cream cone isn't exactly an arduous task. Uh, so it didn't last too long on the market, but for a while they were really promoting this as like some kind of a big technological breakthrough. Wow. That's incredible. I can almost hear the commercial for it now. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, step right up and behold the marvel of the century. The handheld motorized ice cream cone. Tired of that tiresome task of turning your ice cream cone? You find yourself in a sticky situation with melting ice cream running down your arm? Worry no more. With a handheld motorized ice cream cone, you just fill it, flick it, and voila! The cone rotates your ice cream for you. It's the bee's knees. Gee whiz, mister, does it really work? You betcha, kiddo. No more twisting your wrist. No more ice cream mishaps at your swanky soirees. But that's not all, folks. Order now and we'll throw in the optional sidecar attachment absolutely free. You can share the joy of motorized ice cream with a friend or a loved one. So don't be a wet blanket. Hurry and get your very own handheld motorized ice cream cone. Remember, folks, it's the cat's pajamas for dessert aficionados. Batteries not included. Available wherever motorized ice cream cones are sold. Get one for your baby and then get one for yourself. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, If you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. 
Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life... Aura frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout and you will save thanks aura frames for bringing my family a little bit closer this is professional grade storytelling don't try this at home kids this is the box of oddities i looked it up the first modern base jump was 1978 uh, when a california skydiver named carl bonish organized a jump in uh, yosemite national park Mm -hmm. but the history of base jumping goes all the way back to 1617 fausto veranzio uh to test his parachute jumped off a cathedral in 1617 oh no that was actually going to be my topic (laughs) oh no i'm just kidding plus anyone i think who has ever watched an episode of the roadrunner and coyote knows Mm. the danger of cliffs yes and parachutes please please Know what you're doing. What you got for me, girl? What's the danger of parachutes? Well, sometimes they don't open if you don't use them 
properly or pack them like the coyote or, or pack them yeah. yeah yeah not having a parachute no that's, that's bad. more of a problem it really is i would say yeah and when the, the coyote did have a parachute where did he get it where did they get coyote sized parachutes did he have to special order that i'm just an inquisitive man Doddleston is a village located in the authority of cheshire west and cheshire in the county of cheshire in england Oh, actually, I guess it's Cheshire West and Chester in Chester. This is this so is confusing. very confusing. Anyway, it's situated approximately three miles south of the city of Chester. The village is known for its rural character with a mix of residential and agricultural areas. It has a long history and evidence of human activity in the area that dates back to Roman times. The village features a number of historic buildings, including the Parish Church of St. Mary's, which has elements dating back to the 13th century. Wow. It provides a tranquil setting surrounded by farmland and countryside, making it a desirable location for those seeking a quieter residential environment while still being close to the amenities of nearby urban centers. Sounds ideal. It does. It sounds like a place that I really would have liked to have visited this spring. (sighs) We had to cancel that trip. In the year 1985, Ken Webster and his girlfriend Debbie embarked on the ambitious journey of restoring a dilapidated 18th century cottage nestled in this village near the North Wales border. It was called Meadow Cottage. And for a period of two years in the 1980s, as described in his book, Vertical Plane, Ken Webster found himself in the extraordinary position of corresponding directly with an individual who said they had lived on the site of his own cottage four centuries earlier. Uh Uh-oh. Bum, bum, bum. I'm listening. Or maybe it's more like, bam, bam, bam. Did that sound like it was a... Like Welsh? Yeah. Bam, bam, bam. So this endeavor took an unexpected turn when a peculiar six-toed footprint started to emerge in the dust of the cottage. Wow. Ken and Debbie would get up in the morning and there's these footprints in the dust. Was this construction dust or were Ken and Debbie just terrible housekeepers? Well, as I said, it had been dilapidated, so Mm. they were reviving the place. So it could be a combination of things. I don't know exactly. These prints, though, seem to traverse the walls. Oh, no. And the ceiling between the bathroom and the kitchen. They were initially dismissed as a prank by Ken and Debbie, as well as their visiting friend, Nick. So... Nick decided that he would help in this renovation slash with these footprints Mm -hmm. by getting out a gallon of paint and painting over these footprints, which inexplicably reappeared the following day. Now, what year was this renovation taking place? Uh, Around 1985. About 85, okay. This peculiar incident marked the inception of what would be later known as the Doddleston Incident. As the weeks unfolded, the couple found themselves immersed in a series of unsettling occurrences that transcended the realm of the ordinary. Sudden gusts of chilling winds would sweep through the house, shadows danced mysteriously, and an imperceivable presence lingered. The residents said they could feel that somebody else was there, not just Nick, their friend. Also, odd things were happening like 
tins of cat food were stacked in pyramids. Oh, oh no. And in a weird, eerie ambiance permeated the once silent cottage. Yet, at the meat of this supernatural sandwich were the messages. Ken was working as a teacher at a local school and had brought home a BBC microcomputer that he had borrowed. It was at this point that things got really weird. Soon after the computer was set up, typed messages started to appear on the monitor. And this was pre-internet? Yeah. Wow. The first message appeared in the form of an ominous poem. Ken transcribed the first message through the computer. True are the nightmares of a person that fears. Safe are the bodies of the silent world. Turn, pretty flower. Turn toward the sun, for you shall grow and sow. But the flower reaches too high and withers in the burning light. Get out your bricks, pussycat, pussycat. Went to London to seek fame and fortune. Faith must not be lost, for this shall be your redeemer. All right, that's that's pretty... Pretty messed up. And they were able to determine that this wasn't just something that had been logged in on the hard drive previously. It, it just, it just. It just showed up. Just showed up. Wow. I mean, it was pretty early home computer days. So, you know, I, I don't know. Hmm. And I don't know how much they knew. But a few days later, Webster found a second message, equally mysterious, but this time written in a weird, archaic version of British English. The messages began questioning Ken and Debbie's identity and accusing them of stealing the house. I write on the behalf of many, what strange words you speak. You are a worthy man who has a fanciful woman, and you live in my house with lights which the devil makes. It was a great crime to have stolen my house. I would be calling a realtor. Mm. I think at about this point. What intensified the intrigue was the assertion within these messages that the author was claiming to hail from a distant past someone who had previously owned this home, specifically in the year 1546. Wow. In the unfolding saga, messages continued their cryptic encore over the next year and a half keeping Ken on the edge of both curiosity and bewilderment. And terror. And terror. The spectral scribe, endowed with apparently a bit of voyeurism, (laughs) observed the couple within the confines of their house and would reach out about the things that concerned him, i.e. the light that the devil makes. Ken eventually deciphered this as the entity grappling with the concept of electricity. Electricity, yeah. Given the entity's claims of a mid-1500s origin, you can see that the area that era was devoid of electrical wizardry, and uh, the ghostly guest seemed flummoxed and or concerned about the origin of these lights, and I, I bet hair dryers really freaked him out, too. <laughs> And those were the early days of microwave ovens as right. well. They called them radar ranges back in those days. Radar range. Bum, 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 bum. Beep, bop. I guess that's not really what microwaves sound like. Anyway, originally, the writer stated his name was Lucas. 
and eventually spilled the beans that his name was actually Thomas Harden or Thomas Howarden. Now, it turns out that there was a vicar bearing that name registered at a church nearby at the time. And by at that time, I mean in the 1500s. Webster became fully engaged in unraveling this mystery, bombarding the mysterious entity with questions about its nature, whether it was a person or a ghost or a mischievous presence. Some believers in the theory that Ken was communicating with a spirit from the past point to this as evidence. Ken deliberately set traps in his messages, including mentioning a non-existent Jesus College in Oxford founded in 1571, trying to catch the ghost, if you will, in a, in a lie. In a ghost trap. In a ghost lie. Additionally, the messages indicated that Thomas could observe activities in Meadow Cottage, even referencing photos left on the nearby kitchen table, which is creepy. Despite paranormal investigators visiting the cottage multiple times, there was no conclusive evidence found. Thomas eventually claimed that he was actually being forced from his land and ceased communication. Wow. Maybe it was some kind of a time slip. Maybe the original owner in the 1500s was sensing the presence of this 1985 family in his time. You're talking about kind of like an other's situation? Yeah, kind of, sort of. Yeah. Like he's just going about his business and all of the sudden these devil lights, he's seeing these devil lights yeah. or what he perceives as ghosts. And he's like, what are you doing in my house? Yeah. He did, however, mention that he was also communicating with someone from 2100. So, uh, I don't know. He's got a lot of AIM Hmm. friends. Before he was forced from his land and ceased communication, Thomas did mention that he would leave a book for his future friends, which, to this day, has not been found. What kind of communication was he having with future friends from the 2100? I imagine it was pretty similar stuff, like weird poems and insulting their electronics. There must be some sort of a uh, portal there. Like that lake and fringe? Exactly what I was thinking. I want to shout out to Al. Thanks for sending me this topic. This was fun. (laughs) That's great. Um, I got my information from How Stuff Works, DailyPost.uk, and History's Mysteries. And now, that thing in the middle. You're probably listening to this episode on your cell phone. Well, the history of cell phones is amazing. Did you know that it was originally invented by Alexander Graham Bell in 1880. According to History.com, Bell invented a wireless telephone that transmitted conversations and sounds by beams of light. He called it his photophone. It was patented in 1880, and he claimed it to be the greatest invention I have ever made, greater than the telephone. But given the technology of the time, the photophone's utility proved limited. It wasn't until fiber optic technology was developed, nearly a century later, that the transmission of sound by light found its first wide-scale commercial application. Matt sent an email. It says, Cat, J-G, oh my God. 
Your story on Deja Vu has me perplexed. I've been uh, having an issue with my podcast repeating 10 to 20 seconds on almost all of my ear musings of the information to which enters my earballs. <laughs> JG, did I hear you correctly twice or was it actually the, a platform issue? I, would, I wouldn't have emailed the curator otherwise. Uh, love the pod. Uh, y- yeah, yeah, that kind of, that was, yeah, that was a little, kind of a little joke that I, a little deja vu joke. It was a little jokey joke. Yeah, where I repeated the same. Anyway, um, and check this one out. Remember the story I did on Charlie Parkhurst? Yes. I just got an email from uh, Joseph, the, the guy who suggested it. He said, hey, today's my birthday, and I listened to your latest episode about the topic I suggested. What a wonderful, magic birthday present. And then he adds this. I didn't see this in any of the sources that I referred to, but he says, I have to point out that you guys missed that under Charlie's bed, the coroner found a baby's dress. And the coroner said she had given birth, but no one knows what happened exactly. Wow. Thanks, Joseph. Shannon reached out regarding our deja vu conversation. I've had deja vu experiences ever since I can remember. Some are of places and some are of conversations. When I have one of a conversation that's happening, I will purposefully say something different than what I said in the deja vu. I do it just to have fun with it. It doesn't seem to change anything or knock anything out of place. It's actually kind of a dud. (laughs) (laughs) I love how that comment evolved like... This is what I do. I guess it's really not really a big deal. Okay. <laughs> I think it's fascinating. I love it, Shannon. Thank you. And you don't know if it's changing things. Maybe that <sighs> that small difference bumped you into a different timeline and you just aren't aware of it. Hopefully it's a good timeline. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. When Johann Rahl received the letter on Christmas Day, 1776, he put it away to read later. Maybe he thought it was a season's greeting and wanted to save it for the fireside. But what it actually was, was a warning, delivered to the Hessian colonel, letting him know that General George Washington was crossing the Delaware and would soon attack his forces. The next day, when Rawl lost the Battle of Trenton and died from two colonial Boxing Day musket balls, the letter was found, unopened in his vest pocket. As someone with 15,000 unread emails in his inbox, I feel like there's a lesson there. Oh well, this is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. Every episode, we look at the bad ideas, mistakes, and accidents that misshaped our world. 
Find us at constantpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, I guess it's no secret to any of you who listen to the Box of Oddities that I'm a big fan of secret societies. I'm not a member of any, but I'm fascinated with the whole Skull and Bones thing or the Bilderbergers or the Trilateralist Commission, the Illuminati. I used to love going to Fuddruckers. Is Fuddruckers a secret society? Well, you, to build the burgers. Oh, to you build got the, the... Okay, you got yeah. the toppings bar <laughs> and I would put jalapenos on there. Yeah. And... Uh, I miss Fuddruckers. But then there's the Bohemian Grove. It's a private all-male club located in uh, Monterio, California. It's part of the larger Bohemian Club, which is based in San Francisco. The Grove itself is notable for its annual two-week gathering of some of the most powerful and influential men in the world. Just men? Just men. It's all-male. This includes U.S. presidents, business leaders, other prominent figures. The club was founded way back in 1872 by a group of journalists and has since evolved into an association of primarily wealthy, influential men. It's very secretive. Mm -hmm. And the annual gathering at Bohemian Grove is known for its secrecy, and that has fueled a wide range of theories and speculations. You know what it makes me think of? Lindsay Buckingham. Why does it make you think of Lindsay Buckingham? Bohemian Grove. (laughs) The events at the Bohemian Grove are strictly private, and what transpires there is not meant for the public eye. Members are discouraged from discussing club activities publicly, and that, of course, creates an atmosphere of uh, secrecy and confidentiality. There are no written records. It's butt stuff. You think so? Absolutely. Well, could be. Deliberately, no minutes or formal records of conversations are kept during Probably these meetings. because they can't meetings. write. They can afford to have somebody write for them, if, I guess, if they wanted to. This practice uh, ensures that the discussions, often involving high-stakes issues or creative ideas, remain confidential. How do you know what the discussions are about if they remain confidential? There have been some leaks. Oh, okay. And some people have tried to infiltrate this. They should try Depends. Why should they try Depends? I mean, if they've had problems with leaks. Boy, you're on fire today, aren't you? full of men, probably. Sure. Especially elderly men. Yeah. Yeah. Probably wizened themselves. High-level security is enforced during these annual meetings, and that adds to the mystique and speculation. Outsiders not allowed. Mm-hmm. Security is said to be tight enough to prevent unwanted intrusions. Right. They've got bodyguards, strong, strapping young men. With oiled skin. Mm. I'm sorry. I just really don't like boys' clubs. <laughs> yeah, I think we get that. At this annual event... One of the most discussed aspects of the Bohemian Grove gatherings is the um, opening ceremony, pretty much the cremation of care ceremony, it's called. Huh. It's an elaborate theatrical production involving a mock sacrifice in front of a large owl statue. Okay, I can get on board with the owl statue. The ceremony, which began in 1881, is an allegorical play that symbolizes the shedding of burdens and worldly concerns. It's kind of like what we did on New Year's Eve. 
yes, we made little effigies from from the year that we wanted to say goodbye to. Yeah. And uh, burned them in the street. And people were doing that all over the city. Yeah. What's interesting is one of the things that I needed to let go of that I wrote on the effigy was the grief that I was carrying about losing Haggis. And of Mm. course, I'm never not going to be sad about losing Haggis. Right. But the next day. Yeah. We we found Lukey or he found us. Well, the next day we started searching for him. Yeah. <laughs> next day he showed up on, well, no, that night. It was that night. It was right, right after we did that. It, you're right. It was right after we did that. Right after we did the burning ceremony out in the street, we came inside and you found that picture on the social medias. Holy shit, you're right. Good Lord. Anyway... Let's talk about the owl a little bit. Yes, uh, please. It's, it's the centerpiece of the ceremony. It's a large concrete owl statue that stands as a symbol of wisdom. The owl is also the club's mascot. Now, this is out in the woods. It's not in a building. It's just this whole thing takes place outdoors. Oh, okay. Do they maybe have like a big fire and everything's illuminated by the glowing light of the fire and shimmering off their oiled skin? (laughs) Uh, Possibly, but what I do know is members dress in robes and hoods and carry torches Mm -hmm. to the base of the owl statue. Yeah, they do. And then the ceremony includes music, both live and recorded, that contributes to this dramatic ambiance of the evening. I have a question. Yeah. The the live music, is Mm -hmm. that performed by members of the group? Yes, it would have to have been. Well, what if all the good band members die? Then do you just not have live music anymore? They probably still have music. It's just not as good. This year, we have no rhythm section. Well, the owls I hear are not what they seem. That's the word on the street. That's what the youngsters are saying. (laughs) But because it's so secretive, there's all kinds of conspiracy theories about the Bohemian Grove gathering. Here's what some of the conspiracy theories are speculating that happen at these gatherings. They're shaping business and political policies. One common theory is that the Grove serves as a venue for influential elites to meet in secret and make discussions that could impact business and political policies. Critics argue that the informal discussions held there might influence global affairs outside of the public eye. So it's... Wait a minute. Are they lizard people? (laughs) That's what I thought, too. Oh, okay. We'll get to some of the names of some of the past members in a moment. Um, Oh, this is very exciting. Occult rituals and symbolism. A lot of people think it's uh, satanic in nature. Suggests that the Grove hosts occult rituals and ceremonies fueled by the presence of strange symbols, statues, and idols on the ground. Of course, the cremation of care ceremony um, is rife with ritualistic imagery. Right. I do want to point out that occult and Satanism are not the same no. thing. And yeah. so there, there are sometimes overlaps. You're right. It doesn't mean that one is equal to the other. Yes. I was referring more to satanic influence. Some theorists tie the grove to the Illuminati, others to Satanism suggesting that the club's rituals and gatherings are connected to dark and secretive forces. 
While the Bohemian Grove does indeed attract high-profile guests from various fields, the secrecy surrounding the event has fueled speculation over the years. Critics argue that the lack of transparency and openness makes it a breeding ground for conspiracy theories. Uh, of course, they're criticized for a number of reasons, not the least of which uh, it's an all-male club. It has been since its founding in the late 1800s. There have been attempts by journalists and activists to infiltrate the Grove, to uncover what happens inside. Uh, these efforts have provided a little bit of insight, but uh, most of the time, they don't get too far. They maybe just observe from, they're out in the bushes lurking. Like in a tree stand. <laughs> yeah. Here are some names that you might recognize that have been Past members or maybe even current members. Richard Nixon. Like this is for surezies? Yeah. Or it's reported? That's pretty pretty well documented. Uh, Richard Nixon. Ronald Reagan. Yeah. Warren Buffett. David Rockefeller. Clint Eastwood. George Lucas. Walter Cronkite. William F. Buckley Jr. Henry Kissinger. William Randolph Hearst. And it goes on and on and on. But not all of the members are high-profile, famous people. They're just extremely influential men. Okay. Wealthier, powerful in some way. And regardless of all the secrecy and all of the um, security that surrounds this event, uh, they pretty much just say that they're just hanging out, camping, networking, and uh, going to talks. Like Tony Robbins-style talks? Yeah, I would be surprised if uh, there were not those types of talks there. But who knows? Maybe they're just firewalking. Like building up their courage and... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can see why, you know, sometimes you want to hang out with people who are Mm like-minded, who are from the same kind of groups, so that you can grow your confidence level and try new things like... Mm -hmm. Butt stuff. And global domination. The Bohemian Grove, with all of its secrecy and elite membership, continues to capture the public imagination and stir debate. Um, So whether it's merely a retreat for the affluent to unwind or a forum for informal policymaking, the Bohemian Grove's allure lies as much in what is hidden as in what little is known. I have a question. Do mm-hmm. they wear little like masquerade masks? You know, those half masks on sticks? Ooh, I would hope so. Because I'm just picturing Warren Buffett like acting all coquettish with his little yeah. half mask. And his shirt off and his oiled chest. Yep. And the firelight gleaming from his biceps. <laughs> I got my information from Britannica, the Washington Post, and History. Dot com. Um, it seems as though it's a, uh, a question that, if it hasn't been answered by now, probably never will be. Wikipedia lists a lot of past members, and most of them are dead. But I'm assuming it was just old age. Oh, not a... Hmm. Okay. There are really many reasons to listen to our podcast, Big Picture Science. It's kind of a challenge to summarize them all, Molly. Okay, here's a reason to listen to our show, Big Picture Science, because you love to be surprised by science news. We love to be surprised by science news. So, for instance, I learned on our own show that I had been driving around with precious metals in my truck, 
before it was stolen. That was brought up in our show about precious metals and also rare metals, like most of the things in your catalytic converter. I was surprised to learn that we may begin naming heat waves like we do hurricanes. You know, prepare yourself for heat wave Lucifer. I don't think I can prepare myself for that. Look, we like surprising our listeners. We like surprising ourselves by reporting new developments in science and while asking the big picture questions about why they matter and how they will affect our lives today and in the future. Well, we can't affect lives in the past, right? No, I I guess that's a point. So the podcast is called Big Picture Science, and you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. We are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us. We hope you'll take a listen. Hello, everyone. It's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. In 2010, the U.S. Department of Justice reported 200,000 cases of parental kidnapping. These comprised both domestic and international abductions. Fewer than 350 people under the age of 21 have been abducted by strangers in the U.S. per year, on average, between 2010 and 2017. And this is according to who? The U.S. Department of Justice. Okay, I thought you... I thought you said the U.S. Postal Service, and I'm like, what the hell, are they mailing babies again? Remember that story you did? That was really fun. Yeah. They used to I think mail you babies. did that story. Oh, maybe I did. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> kidnapping statistics for U.S. adults, though, are elusive. The crime of kidnapping is not separately recorded by the Uniform Crime Report, hmm. which makes it really difficult to know what the stats are. Well, I spent a little of my free time learning about kidnapping when I came across something I had never heard of. And maybe you haven't either. In 2004, Benedict Cumberbatch was already an established actor in British entertainment. Sure. But hadn't yet achieved widespread international recognition. At that time, he'd appeared in various stage productions, television shows, and smaller film roles. Some of his notable early works include his performance in TV movies like Hawking in 2004, where he portrayed physicist Stephen Hawking, and To the Ends of the Earth from 2005. Additionally, he had been building a reputation as a talented stage actor through his performances in productions like Hedda Gabler and The Arsonists. While returning to the set of To the Ends of the Earth, north of Durban, Benedict Cumberbatch and two companions encountered a distressing situation. They were stranded due to a flat tire in an area that they knew to be pretty dangerous, and they were worried that they were going to be targets for robbery. And it happened. Six armed individuals confronted them. Oh, my God. Demanding money, drugs, and weapons. Cumberbatch described the surge of inevitable fight-or-flight adrenaline as he and his friends were driven away in their own vehicle. He was frisked 
and then bound before put in the back of the car. Did did they change the tire first? I assume so. Okay. Did the would-be kidnappers change the tire? I don't know the details. Because that would be kind of sweet, you know, for kidnappers to do. So Benedict kept complaining about the restraints, and so he was forced into the trunk. Oh, no. After a period of terrifying uncertainty, the kidnappers abruptly released all three without explanation. Of course, his friends were bewildered but grateful. He vividly recalled the emotional moment when a stranger showed up and helped them. This traumatic experience reportedly significantly altered his perspective and led him to reevaluate and appreciate his life and its values on a much deeper level. Wow. As I'm sure it couldn't help but do. I know that sounded like a jumble of words, but I meant it. It sounded like Charlie from Always Sunny in Philadelphia. So do. Karina Liu is a prominent Hong Kong actress and a singer who's achieved widespread recognition throughout Asia. She starred in numerous films and television series, gaining acclaim for her versatile performances. She's known for her roles in popular movies such as Days of Being Wild, Ashes of Time, and Infernal Affairs 3, which sounds sassy. Her talent and success have made her well-respected in the entertainment industry, and she continues to be celebrated for her contributions to film and music. And she's married to Tony Leung, who is a singer and actor who has a record eight Best Actor wins at the two most prestigious Chinese-language film awards, plus a Best Actor prize at Cannes. So, a power couple, you know? Karina was on her way to play Mahjong at Eric Sang's house, which sounds like the coolest thing ever. And (laughs) she realized she was being followed. So she sped up. But in her haste to get out of the situation, she ended up hitting a barrier. Then three men jumped out of the car behind her, forced her from her vehicle and took her away. So she had a security guard with her who saw what happened. He went and told her friend who she was going to see, and then they alerted police. The security guard didn't fight back. He just kind of like watched them take her away. And then he went to the house and knocked on the door. And I don't know the specifics of those series of events, but I can assume and I would assume that he did everything that he could. Thank you. Okay, I just got questions is all. Unfortunately, in 2002, her trauma resurfaced when a magazine called East Week magazine decided to publish unauthorized topless photos that had been taken of her during this abduction. So this despicable act led to widespread outrage. Numerous celebrities, including Jackie Chan, condemned the magazine's deplorable attempt to increase sales. And the publication faced significant backlash, ultimately resulting in a suspension of its operations. These were photos of her that were taking, taken during her abduction. Her abduction. Oh, my God. I know. How tasteless and heartless and gross. The unauthorized distribution of such private images is a reprehensible violation of privacy and a deeply distressing practice that, I mean, this is not the only time that it's happened and it's gross. Nope. The word on the street is that she had been kidnapped as, quote, punishment for having refused a film offer. Oh, my God. Yeah. Whew. Now, she was only kidnapped, and I say only kidnapped, like, you know, a two-hour kidnapping isn't traumatic. But 
Luckily, she was released after two hours. But then to have this come back up again because Mm. of this magazine, it's disgusting. Jessica Alba. She's an American actress and a businesswoman known for her roles in Sin City, Fantastic Four, and Honey. She's also the co-founder of The Honest Company, which is a consumer goods company that focuses on safe, non-toxic household products. We've had several of The Honest Company products. Big (laughs) fan. She started her acting career very young, and she spoke with the Daily Beast about difficulties she faced during her teenage years, largely stemming from her family's ties to the Catholic Church. Older men would make advances toward her, and then she'd talk about it with her youth pastor, who said it was because of the way she dressed, even though she wasn't dressing provocatively, and she is a teenager. She recounted that it made her feel as though her appeal to the opposite sex was her own fault, and it led to an incredible sense of shame about her body and being a woman in general. Oof. In a harrowing episode early in her career, young Alba faced a deeply disturbing encounter with a stalker turned kidnapper. During the filming of her debut show, Flipper, in 1996, the 15-year-old actress received unsettling phone calls, and initially, they were dismissed as pranks. And it wasn't until the situation took a horrifying turn that anyone took it seriously. Alba was abducted from the set of Flipper and remained a missing child for 14 hours. Oh, my God. That's... She was discovered bound and gagged in the trunk of a car. How have I never heard of this? Yeah, I've never heard this story before. Unfortunately, the traumatized actor was unable to provide any information about what had happened to her, so the case was dismissed. She doesn't really discuss it publicly, as I can understand Mm. that it's a terrible thing that happened and you probably don't want to think about it, but the identity of the culprit remains unknown. Shrouding the episode in mystery and underscoring the gravity of the traumatic experience that she endured. Well, she's been through a lot. Yeah. Again, how have I never heard of this? Here's another great example. Justin Long found himself in a uncomfortable situation at a bar with an actress and two production assistants. Justin Long at the time was not a well-known actor, but he had been dating Drew Barrymore, so he was very visible even though he wasn't super famous at the time. Okay. Two individuals approached them, and despite feeling an odd vibe, Long and his crew eventually agreed to join the strangers on a late-night trip to a casino. Along the way, they stopped the men's condo, where Long was asked to take a hit from a bong. Okay. Now... He agreed only after being goaded and realized right away that something was wrong. There was an unusual taste to it. He said that it wasn't just pot and he knew it right away. Mm. As the evening progressed, Long's discomfort intensified as the men exhibited erratic behavior and he felt more and more out of sorts. He believes that the weed that he was offered was laced with PCP. Feeling increasingly uneasy, Long asked to be taken back to his hotel, but the men kept making additional stops and raised unsettling questions about filming for TMZ or YouTube. They made jokes about how Long couldn't handle his weed and maybe they should Uh, make some videos and send them along to TMZ. These sound like fun guys. Long's distress peaked when he sensed the car was not heading toward his hotel and ultimately decided to leap from the vehicle. 
Holy crap. Yeah. So the car was coming to a stop at a red light and he just jumped out. He said that they were still going about 35 miles an hour. Holy crap. He sustained a leg injury in the process. Now, following the traumatic event, he neglected to seek immediate medical attention. And that led to nerve damage that continues to affect him to this day. And what about the guys that uh, abducted him? Don't know who they are. Don't know who they are. Never found out. Mm. Long didn't report it to police, and I wonder if it's because of the drug use. Yeah, maybe. Also, Drew Barrymore broke up with him two days later. What does that mean? I can see neglecting self-care issues when you're going through something emotional like a breakup. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I know what you mean, yeah. Despite this, he had to fulfill work commitments, including an Apple commercial, And he was filming in a movie, which they had to craft special jeans for him that would fit over his wildly fucked up leg. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Now, throughout the events, Long's sense of vulnerability and fear was compounded by the unnerving behavior of the individuals involved. And it led to a lasting impact on his well-being. I'm absolutely sure that if he has not sought mental health professionals... For this event, he absolutely should, because that's scary. Yeah, I can't imagine that. I've had some upsetting things happen in my life, but uh, and I've had to sort it out through therapy, and it pales in comparison to, you know, being forced to smoke PCP and then being kidnapped. Well, I mean, I know some of the things that have happened to you in your life, and I don't know if that's really fair to say. You've been through some shit. Haven't we all? Indeed. Maybe someday I'll talk about it. So here we go. Four high-profile celebrities that have been kidnapped that I had never heard of. I don't know how this happens. It's so wild to me. Celebrity kidnappings. Yeah, you, you would expect to hear about them. Yeah. I got my information from The Hollywood Reporter, from Far Out Magazine, and from Style Magazine. Before we wrap this up, I do want to thank you for being such a loving and supportive... I'm adjusting her microphone. Thank you. You're welcome. Loving and supportive partner. And I want to try to craft an image in the listener's mind right now. Yesterday, I woke up early. I thought, you know it would be nice for my lovely spouse to wake up to is a very clean kitchen. So I got to it. I started organizing things, moving things around, and I was going to do all the dishes. So I got all the dishes ready to go. You know how you do the pre-soak and I'm cleaning other stuff while things are soaking. I got to the dishes. I started washing, including a beer glass. You know, one that's wider at the top than it is at the bottom. It's like a Pilsner glass. So I jammed my hand into this glass and I'm scrubbing away uh, as one does when washing a glass. And all of a sudden, the glass shatters as my hand is inside of it doing a twisty turny. And I screeched out a little bit. I made a little screechy sound. Yeah, you did. Sorry about that. It's all right. You come down the stairs and you're like, what has happened? And I was like, I don't want to yell about it. And so you came out and, you know, I'm holding a towel to my bloody hand. And you're like, okay, um, well, let's get that cleaned up. And I was like, thank you for your help. I appreciate you. So we got into the drawer with the first aid stuff. I got out the alcohol and I realized we were out of band-aids. 
And you said, okay. You put on your shoes and you said, I'm going to go get us some Band-Aids. And I was like, great. I appreciate you. So you left the apartment. And about two minutes later, I went out to the balcony and I look out and you are running down the road <laughs> toward the pharmacy. <laughs> well, it, was, it looked like a pretty nasty cut. And I didn't want to have to look at it any longer were, than I had to. So. You were so calm and collected, and then you left the apartment and just bolted. <laughs> <laughs> well, we fortunately, there is a pharmacy right across the river. But um, if I'd really been concerned, I would have swam. I would have swum it. I would have swam the river. I would have swimmed it. I would have. I took the bridge, and it took longer. We've had a lot of rain lately. I don't know if you could have made it. I'm glad you took the bridge. Well, I'm glad your hand is okay. Yeah, it's all and, right. And now we have plenty of Band-Aids. Yay! Thanks for hanging out with us, you guys. We appreciate you taking the time to do so. And uh, if you want to reach out to us, it's curator at theboxofoddities.com. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known. The Box of Oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2024. All rights reserved. <laughs>